Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, guys, my guest with me today is Lieutenant Colonel Brian Slade, Air Force pilot who's flown over a thousand combat missions. He's the recipient of multiple military decorations, including the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Bronze Star. He's a master's degree in aviation instruction and currently serves as a Lieutenant Colonel for Air Force Combat Search and Rescue, instructing the next generation of warriors to become badass pilots. Published author of the book Cleared Hot, but most importantly, Single father to his 10-year-old son, Axel. Brian, glad to have you on, man. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, so let's just dive right in, brother. Like, kind of walk us through um, what you're building and why you're building it and what led up to this book and this kind of program or whatever that you have in place. Yeah, uh, certainly. So... Uh, first off, I would like, I'd just say, man, I never thought I'd be an author. So it wasn't, this was not a lifetime goal or anything like that. Well, what happened is I, I did multiple deployments and noticed that out of those deployments, we were exposed to certain, whatever you want to call it, trauma or traumatic situations. And amongst my peers, there was a large array of reactions to that same stimulus or the same trauma. You know, it ranged everywhere from actually growing and from that experience, having a foundational peace laid, even though it was traumatic, it was post-traumatic stress growth rather than post-traumatic stress damage, uh, which I use damage instead of disorder. I, I just, I prefer that, but obviously, you know, the prescription writers prefer, prefer disorder, <laughs> but uh, it's damage because I like to say damage because I feel like it's easier to repair damage than a disorder. Maybe that's not true or not, but I feel like it is repairable. Um, and when I looked at it, you know, some of my friends, you know, were, uh, well, I'll share a story. One of my guys got back and he was a guy that worked for me and he was very jovial individual, um, super happy all the time. And he's one of those guys that I could just cut up with, right? We'd just be like throwing it back and forth, zingers, everything. You know, there's those individuals that you know that are depressed and having issues and, and they kind of stand out and you kind of, you kind of gravitate towards them to try to help those guys. Then this guy, I had no idea. I had no idea. Two days before we were just joking around and he ends up deciding to shoot himself right mm -hmm. kill himself and just i just had no idea you know that he was even in that place and i was just like man we we saw the same shit right we saw the same stuff why did it hit him so hard and so differently and so i did a deep dive with a lot of mental health professionals to kind of figure out why i ended up where i was versus what other people have ended up you know first it bothered me that it didn't bother me Right. I was like, why doesn't it bother me? Am I a psychopath? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a legitimate concern. And then when I talked to them about it, they're like, well, if you're worried about being a psychopath, you're probably not a psychopath. You know? Right. <laughs> so that was a little comforting. But yeah, that's the reason behind the book is I just want to, one, it, it started preparatory. I want to prepare people's minds to be more fortified and 
more resilient. And that what we found is a lot of the lessons that we learned not only help to prepare our mind, but if you've already experienced their work in remedying situations that have already been there, they help unwrap that stuff and put it where it needs to be filed in the past as a memory, not something that's a current obstacle. Right, right. So we're talking about just so the audience knows, post-traumatic stress stuff by way of experience of some of the more horrendous aspects of being in combat and being war, like having your fellow your fellow combat soldiers die in front of you or get blown up in front of you or having to pull the trigger on people yourself and a close quarters and taking life and seeing basically the horrors of war and the trauma that that builds. This is what we're talking about. Right. Absolutely. I use that as the, the catalyst to, uh, to, to start the discussion, but I also don't want to discredit trauma that's felt in any other aspect. Trauma is trauma. Pain is pain. Life is life. How you deal with it is how you deal with it. Right. So war is just a really clean way to say, yeah, that's ugly. And yeah. that obviously is traumatic. So we can use that and talk about it, but you know, as you know, and your listeners know, trauma comes in all shapes and forms. One in three people is supposed to have a significant traumatic effect in their life. And I think that's underreported, personally, Probably. right? And so that means either you or somebody you don't care about absolutely is going through something or has gone through something. Right? Yeah. And that's why I wanted to get you on because I know there may be a few guys that are, you know, military or former military that have seen this and gone through this stuff. But I know there's going to be a lot more guys that maybe, maybe don't have like a PTSD traumatic experience related to war and combat but maybe as it relates to growing up in a highly toxic or abusive home or, you know, years uh, spent in addiction and the trauma that's associated with that people that maybe have lost like uh, a primary caregiver, like a parent when they were younger and people that have bounced from like multiple different foster homes or been through the foster care system, people that have been sexually assaulted, all of that stuff. Trauma looks different from every, for everybody, but it, the, um, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you're sick, you have symptoms. The symptoms kind of can look the same for all of us and like how we deal with it, but also the tactics to fix it and rebuild it can be the same for everybody as well, is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Just as a side note, real quick, bro. I just you know, when you were saying that story, man, it reminded me my sister is in the Air Force. And uh, we don't talk very much. She's a real busy girl. Um, she's been to Korea twice, was stationed in Alaska. She's in Germany now. And she's coming up on that 20. Like she's, and the last time I talked to her, which was years ago, she was a sergeant. And I know there's a couple different rankings in that sergeant class. So I don't know which one she was when she told me what she is now. But I remember hearing a story where she was dating a guy and she had been dating him for just a little bit. It wasn't real serious, but they were getting along. And then out of the blue, man, this guy pulled the trigger and killed himself. And it was a shock to everybody. Yeah. Because people have a way of hiding the symptoms of their trauma. And nobody can really know what's going on inside. You know, people that we work with, people that were around in all the different areas of life that were around could be going through or having gone through some tragic tragic stuff but we learn how to carry ourselves in society in a way to where no one knows right out of the blue this guy pulled the trigger man so i always call that when when people so we never know who's in the gunfight right and that's what that's what i i I use as a as a kind of an analogy is is they're in the gunfight right when you're in the gunfight 
that's all you see is the gunfight. You don't you don't see the rest. And one of the stories I use about this is perspective building um, and, and building. You know, if we can keep that big perspective all the time, which is easier said than done, but if we can keep it, we'd never find ourselves in that position, right? Because, it, well, I'll sh- let me share this story. We landed in Afghanistan. I'd never been to war before, ever. It's my first time, right? Now I've since been multiple times, Afghanistan, Iraq, right? But this is my first time. And not only is it my first time, I'm leading our company there, meaning I'm going with the helicopters as part of an advanced party. So the rest of my company is behind me, right? There's me and two of my my enlisted sergeants, the maintenance guys. So there's three of us. None of us have been to war before. (laughs) Like We're all just sitting in the back of a C-17, which is a gigantic plane cargo plane and they folded up our apaches there's three of them in there just shoved in there like sardines and i you know i strung a hammock up underneath one it's a freaking 17 or whatever hour flight and we're sitting there and we're just you know there's a little bit of this what are we going to see what are what's going to happen you know mm-hmm. and uh we you know all of a sudden i'm sitting there swinging and i hear the the audio, the pa go you know buckle up whatever wake up and, and when i wake up the light has the lighting had changed it was like this red Freddy Krueger type lighting within there. And, 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 you know, when I went to sleep, it was, it was a different lighting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And then it, it hit me. Oh, we're over enemy territory. We are, we're in a situation I've never been in before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I get in and buckle up and they do this tactical descent and seatbelts holding me in place. I'm like, holy crap. I didn't know these planes could move like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And we land and the back of the C-17 opens like a clamshell. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I was expecting. It was early morning. And the sun hadn't come up all the way yet, but it was light outside. I don't know what I was expecting to see, but as that clamshell slowly opened, obviously the light comes in. I can't really see my eyes are adjusting. I'm like kind of focusing, trying to see what it is. And, and all of a sudden it's like Afghanistan, you know, it opens. Mm-hmm. And I'm from the Northwest, Rocky Mountains, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I see. I see Rocky Mountains. I mean, they're beautiful, majestic mountains with snow on them and it smelled clean. And I was like, this is not what I pictured, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pictured something nasty. Like it's Afghanistan. And so then I'm flying over those things. I'm flying over them and I'm like, this is, I'd like to go snowboarding right there. That'd be great on snowmobiles over here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this beautiful picture. And then we get a call. Then we get a call and our gun, our call sign was gun metal, right? And it's a gun metal, gun metal. We're, we've got a mission for you. I'm like, okay. So I pass it and it's, it was the support of tick, which is the troops in contact, right? When troops are in contact, that means that they're trading bullets at high velocities with the bad guys, right? And if they're calling us, there's more coming at them than they're, they're able to deal with. So we get called in and they're like, can you help? I'm like, yes, that's our job. We'll do that. So we come in and we descend out of that beautiful, majestic picture into the gunfight, right? And we're in that gunfight. And next thing you know, the guy's on the radio and he's like, I'm in a lot. He's out of breath. You can hear the stuff in the background. <laughs> All that stuff happening. Such a different feel from that majestic picture. And he's even more in the gunfight. I mean, he's his head's coming down. That's all he sees. He sees bad guys. He sees bullets. He sees we have to deal with this right now. And it's overwhelming. We come in. We start flinging lead at him. Same thing. I'm only focused on what's going on right here. To me, this is the world right now. This is the gunfight. This is the world. But the funny thing about that is, is that picture didn't change. Those mountains were the same. While that was happening, those mountains, that beauty, still there. And that's the big picture. That beauty is still there. 
And then you back up a little further. You can, we're at 5,000 feet. You see the beautiful mountains, whatever. You back up to 30,000 feet and you start to see the curvature of the earth. And I don't care if you're over the ugliest landscape on this planet. If you're at 30,000 feet, it's beautiful, right? You back up even further you're in space, you see our planet and it's, you know, the blue, the contrast with the continents and the clouds over it. How, I mean, that's magic. We're talking galaxy, we're talking stars. And here's the thing that's cool about that is it's not beauty in every direction because there is no direction when you're that high. It's just beauty just is. And that's the big picture. Beauty just is. But when you're in a gunfight, even though gunfight is finite, and the beauty is infinite, infinite. That's what we see is the finite. You're in the fight, but it's finite. And that's what we're trying to do is get people to be able to be in that gunfight, right? But realize that big picture is still there. I got it. I can get out. I can lift my head out of here. This is fine. This is something we're going to get through, right? You might have scars. You're going to have scars probably, but it doesn't mean you can't get through it. Right. And it doesn't mean that that picture ever changed on you. The world, the beauty is still there. That was always there. Right. So that's one of the things that I like to focus on is or get people to focus on mm -hmm. because they're in the gunfight when they, when they're still down and focused in that. So you're doing uh counseling too, then it sounds like in addition to, you know, having written a book and whatnot and teaching guys how to fly the planes, are you doing like some kind of like PTS counseling with soldiers and stuff like that? Uh, not officially, no. I've given a few, I give some talks and stuff like that. And we kind of go through this. And then if you, you know, if you go to the website, there's kind of like the lessons learned that we teach and, and some things like that. But yeah, no, it's not, I'm not an official counselor. I'm still, I'm still active duty. I'm still right. flying combat search and rescue missions type stuff. Okay. One thing you, one thing you had mentioned um, a second ago was PTSD growth instead of damage, which almost leads me to believe where you were going with that was some people can harness trauma and use it to grow from rather than letting it damage them. What what did you mean specifically by that? Like, how does that look? Well, you know that list that you just gave, right? You, you, toxic environments, sexually abused, blah, 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 all, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. that, that that cause trauma in, in lives. And, and that list is horrific. But we know people who've come from all of those situations. There are people who are amazing, phenomenal, freaking strong pillars mm -hmm. that, that use that experience as their platform. They use it as their, their base or their foundation, right. right? And then we know a lot of people, and this was probably more the majority, right? The majority of us didn't know how to do that, right? And so the same experience will, you know, topple a lot of people. And then they go down into this huge hole. And, you know, sometimes they hit bottom and they come back up. Think that's good. That's what we're hoping for. And sometimes, you know, they hit the bottom and that's where they stay, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you can. And there's techniques to do that. And that's part of what we teach. That's part of what the book is, is, some of the principles that we talk about preparing your mind so that when you have trauma, when you're exposed to it, that the likelihood of you growing from it is increased over the likelihood of you being damaged by it. Right. So turning trauma into triumph instead of an opposite. Yeah. Well, let's walk through some of those principles, bro. You already mentioned the um, the perspective one. 
Yeah. What are some other things that guys can do to uh, make lemonade out of lemons, so to speak, as it relates to their trauma? So one of the other principles that I, that I teach is called chair flying, right? And it may sound like a Harry Potter thing, right? But it's, but it's not, it, it's kind of like if uh, meditation and visualization and role play all got together, had a love child, there you have chair flying, right? Okay. And, and, and really what is, what it, what I did it for was to prepare myself for emergency procedures. I, what I didn't realize it was doing was also preparing my mind for trauma so that it wouldn't have negative impact. And I'll, I'll share a story about that in a minute, but, but it's kind of works along the same principles as inoculating yourself for a sickness, right? When you inoculate yourself for a sickness, you get a weakened dose of that illness right it gets put in your body your body builds up a resistance to it so then when you're exposed to the actual you may have a little reaction you may have no reaction but bottom line is it doesn't negatively affect you like it like it could have right, right. so you can do the same thing with with trauma you can start to walk yourself through these uh, hypothetical traumatic events and and walk yourself through being the victor of that too and how you're going to handle it and how you're going to handle it like a champion <laughs> you know those kind of things and what i was concerned about personally was i was a new pilot when we, we deployed i only had a couple hundred hours and because of needs of the army they actually made me an aircraft commander earlier than i thought i, I should have been made mm-hmm. but, but we needed we need an aircraft commander and i was next in line so that's that's what happened so I was concerned that something would happen and I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to handle it with my skill sets and abilities because I didn't have a lengthy resume of flight hours to draw off of. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is an hour before I'd go to bed, I would, well, I'd start with the meditation part of it, which for me was just breathing exercises. Now meditation is this individual's fingerprints, right? You do what works for you, but I do, I do encourage people to try to figure out what works for them, right? Whether it's breathing exercises or ohms or yoga or whatever, there's a lot of different ways to kind of get yourself into a meditative state to where your mind is, is just more, more willing to accept new data, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would do breathing exercises. Um, there's a book by Dr. Weil, W-E-I-L, called Breath, I think. And it kind of talks through the, the science behind that, but... But that's what I would do. And then I would start to visualize an emergency procedure. You know, first I get like the landscape. What type of situation are we in? What, what's happening? Then, then how that emergency procedure would manifest both outside exogenously and inside, like what I would see in the cockpit, how I would feel things. Mm-hmm. And then I would drill it down to more details and like, okay, what, are, what, is, what is my frame of mind gonna be? When that happens, be honest with yourself, First, well, I'd probably freak out. Okay, so I'm not going to do that. Back up. I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to take a deep breath. And then this emergency procedure, the steps are, and you go through it, right? Mm-hmm. The next step is you do, you do it over and over again to where you can get through it pretty fluidly to where it just, it just comes, right? And then the next step, you're actually moving your hands and your feet. In a helicopter, you've got to fly all four appendages at the same time to keep that thing, the spinny thing where it needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. So... I'm literally putting muscle memory into the equation by moving that stuff, saying what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, mm-hmm. right? So I'll, I'll use 
there's so many examples, but I'll, I'll use an example. One night we were flying. It was dark. I mean, it was dark. It was like in somebody's armpit dark, right? In Afghanistan, there's not a lot of ambient light at night. And there was no moon, no stars, because I don't know if there were cloud cover, but it was dark. So we have two different types of night vision devices in the helicopter. One is called forward-looking infrared, a FLIR. And it sits right over our right eye in a monocle. So this eye, my right eye, can see, you know, the green world of FLIR. My left eye is actually naked and looking out into the darkness. So it sees nothing. And that way I can kind of look inside the cockpit for things and do whatever needs to be done with that one. It's mm -hmm. kind of like watching TV with one eye and reading a book with the other. You got to teach yourself how to do it. But after you learn how to do it, you can do it. So we're developing this situation, which means we're trying to figure out where the bad guys are so we can engage them, right? We're talking to the ground forces. The ground forces are walking us onto a specific compound. We want to make sure it's the right compound before we engage because, you know, you're going to be about ready to take life. So, <clears throat> sorry. Once we correctly identify that compound, we roll in and I engage through the flare. You know, I'm watching the flare. Well, actually, my co-pilot was the one pulling the trigger on this thing, but I was watching it. And I see the compound. We also have multifunctional displays, which are just glass displays within the cockpit. I could see it in one of the displays with both my naked eye and then my FLIR. The compound went from looking like a compound to dust. Simultaneously, my naked eye sees the flashes and the explosion in the dark night. So it's kind of this crazy, like bilateral stimulus of information. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow. And then all of a sudden, all gone, black. Like the, the, the monocle goes out, all my instruments in the helicopter go out. ICS, which is the feedback in the ear cups, what you're talking about, gone. All I hear is rotor and engines. We're mm -hmm. still flying, but I just lost all electrical and and it's black. I mean, I'm looking, like I said, I'm stuck in an armpit. Mm -hmm. And we were relatively level before the world turned off the lights. So I maintained the controls. I flipped off the monocle. I reached up our secondary night vision device as a night vision goggle. It clips onto our helmet and slides down. And what it does is magnify ambient light, right? I wasn't using those because there wasn't a lot of ambient light, but I clicked them down. Once they're down, the blackness gave way to dark green and I could see enough to keep air between us and the ground, which is the intent, right? Mm -hmm. So we do, and I fly off and, you know, and, and I'm just basically turning the aircraft, but it's, it's this black hole. The guy in front of me, we're in two, you know, we can't see each other. So we're front and back, right? I have no idea what he's thinking because I can't talk to him. We lost everything, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm just, I immediately break contact with the enemy and start heading back to, to where I think our home base is. Bastion is where we're headed. And I know by standard operating procedures, the, my wingman will follow me. So I slow back once we're kind of clear of the bad guy land and they come alongside me, which was my hopes. And I took... A flashlight and just kind of flashed it back and forth from cockpit to cockpit so they know i'm fine but something's weird right and they got it so they took lead i perched up on their wing we flew all the way back home okay so why do i tell that story because when that happened i'm sure my heart rate elevated yes but when it happened it wasn't the first time it happened um it had happened in my hypotheticals my chair flying multiple times where I'd talk through losing all those kind of stimulus and how I would stay calm and how I'd keep control and how I would try to 
use the alternate, how I would communicate by alternate alternate means and how I'd make sure that we keep the spinny thing spinny and air between us and the greasy side, right? How are we going to do that, right? So I'd already gone through all of that stuff. So when it really happened, instead of us likely, if, you, if I wasn't prepared, I mean, we were only at 100, 200 feet. We didn't have a lot of space between us and the ground. The likelihood of that ending up in a catastrophic upside down landing is pretty good. Mm -hmm. pretty good you know but it didn't so now it's just a cool story but i credit that to chair flying but mm -hmm. that was me trying to prepare for emergencies what i didn't realize is i also was inoculating myself for that stress yeah. i was inoculating myself from that trauma so when it happened i didn't get sick i might have had a little thing i might have got a little scar I might have got a little whatever but i didn't get sick because i'd already been there at a weakened dose that i controlled in the chair flying scenario right right so that's really one of the steps that I that I talk about as far as preparing yourself to to experience post traumatic stress growth instead of damage mm -hmm. by trying scenarios and you know you can I do it I do it now for everything you know I, I do if I'm going to have a difficult conversation mm -hmm. I walk through that how it's going to be ahead of time and I do the same steps I do the meditation the visualization the role play I talk I, my my son he's ten years old. He's like, you're talking to yourself again. I was like, I know. <laughs> right. My 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 12 year old does that to me. Dad, who are you talking to? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um let's dissect it before you live it. Let's yeah. let's let's dissect that a little bit, Brian, because um, and I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit just on something that you mentioned, but only because I want to tease out just your thoughts on this a little better. So I think it's Henry David Thoreau that said this, and I may get the source wrong. But there's a quote about um, the guy said, I've experienced a lot of traumatic things in life. Uh, most of them have never happened. Yeah. And, it, and it's talking about how people get in a place where they think too much on the what ifs, how yeah. all the aspects of my life could go wrong. And they stress on things that might never happen. They might could, the chances are low, whatever. There's an element of chance there. Obviously, they wouldn't be thinking about it. But they spend all this time stressing on things that are minuscule, turning molehills into mountains or things that would never even happen. And they end up releasing cortisol and creating turmoil for themselves by getting stuck in this mental state. But it sounded almost like what you were saying is practice the what ifs, maybe, you know, boxed in, controlled or whatever, so that you can inoculate yourself to the stress that might happen if those things ever did happen. And learn um, in the, on the front side how not only to inoculate yourself from the stress, but how to respond. Now, we know in your situation, this is a combat zone, right? This is a necessary training for a person like you to do this, to win, to win wars, to save lives, to save your own life. How would and why would someone use this technique if they're having marriage struggles, financial struggles? Uh, struggles in their health, um, just struggles with addiction. Um, give me some scenarios where it gets practical for the common the common man. Yeah, I love that you asked that question because that is the natural. Hey, we, if we sounds like if we do that, we might induce anxiety, right? right. And, and and I realize that. Like, so the big part of it is the preparatory phase that you're doing. That's why you do the meditation first. Okay. Right? The meditations put you in a state where you are ready to 
go into this in a healthy trajectory. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to stay there, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what I tell people, especially that, that have the tendency of being anxious and whatever. you got to really do that meditation state. And when you get into the visualization, uh, do it too small to fail, right? Meaning, let's say let's say it's a, a marital, like you said, a problem with their spouse. And there's a, they are going to have to have that difficult situation. They're worried about having that dif dif difficult situation, right? Because we all react poorly often, you know, in relationships. Right. Sometimes we, we have best intentions, but in the heat of the moment. And it, it, so it's really good to do these for these, these type of scenarios, because in the heat of the moment, we often act poorly, react poorly. So you want to walk yourself through that, but you don't want to induce all that anxiety. So the meditation piece is key. And then you go as far as it starts to get you into that anxious piece. And then you go right back to the meditation. Okay. Okay. And it, Cause you don't, you don't push yourself all the way through that thing. If you can't, right. You go too small to fail. So get your, get your step to where you can handle it. I'm not saying to where it's like no stress. You got to get to, you got to push yourself because you're going to do it again. And that's time you go a little further. Right. And then you go back to the meditation. Okay. Once you can finally get yourself all the way through that visualization piece without the, the actual role play, without the actual talking, it's just kind of in your head. Maybe you're mumbling to yourself, maybe a little bit, if that helps, but you're only going as far as where it starts to get your heart rate up. And maybe that's one sentence, you know, maybe it is only one sentence, hopefully not, but maybe it is. Mm -hmm. so, so I start to feel anxious at one sentence. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two and you go to two and go back to the meditation. Sure. Right. Go back to because we don't want to induce anxiety right because that, that that becomes counterproductive but then once you get all the way through that and say that is your your marital car discourse or whatever once you get through it once it becomes easier to get through it again and you can do those tributaries or whatever those tangents well what if so-and-so says this how am i going to react right well, you know how am i how am i going to react in a, in a in a good way right because how how would i react okay be honest <laughs> right yeah. Right. This is how I would react because I'm a jackass sometimes. Right. But I don't want to be a jackass anymore. Mm -hmm. So she does that. How am I going to react? Right. That's mm -hmm. chair point where when it happens, you've already done it. It's now I'm not saying I'm not going to mess up. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't make you perfect, but it does make you more likely to make the right stream choice. Yeah. It does make you less likely to be negatively affected from it. I like that, bro. And to be quite honest, dude, um, there's some other guys that I follow that I've heard them talk about how um, you sit down with a pen and paper. And when you're having moments of like frustration or anxiety about certain aspects of your life to make like these column lists and write down, okay, what if this worst scenario were to happen? You know, yeah. what, what if this actually happens rather than getting stuck or frozen in the fact that, oh my God, the worst thing that could happen has now happened you start asking yourselves a series of questions in another column just over where you're like, all right, so uh, my wife left or whatever, or we just were out of money and there's still half a month left of bills coming or whatever. And what's the worst that can happen? You know what I mean? Am I going to die? No. Right. Right. Um, are, will there still be food to eat in the house? Yes. You know what I mean? Like all these different things. And, and when you make that list, you can kind of see like, all right, it's not going to be fun, but we're not going to die. And, you know, we're going to be able right. to pull out of this kind of a thing. And I yes. think it would be really helpful for guys that, you know, before they have that uncomfortable conversation with a spouse um, that could turn hot, so to speak, yeah. to, begin to practice their responses 
for a guy maybe just getting out of prison that's on his way back to the halfway house after he's on work release and he's finishing his job for the day and he knows there's going to be drugs there and he's going to be propositioned by people to buy drugs. He's already walked through his responses on how he's going to handle that, so to speak. You know what I mean? Or that financial situation shows up where there is more month left than money. And rather than just panic and go straight to the payday loan place, you begin to walk through options. This is what I'm hearing you say. You did this in a combat zone where it was life and death, but we can bring this to real world, real time reality for the common man. And he can use these tactics to help him stay stress less, as you said, inoculated to stress and anxiety by practicing this action, but also develop a contingency plan so that he's not responding in the flesh or in impulsivity. And because Absolutely. Of the jackass. yeah, I like that, bro. And 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 I and that is the next step of this is like walking all the way through 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 for it, you know, all the way through the end. And and this is in real world, hundred percent what you're saying. I just I just had this conversation about three months ago with my mom because she's going through a hard time, and mm-hmm. and I said, okay, and she's one of these that really like the anticipation of stuff is ten times worse than reality, right? right? It's just so much worse. And I'm like, okay, mom, let's walk through it. That happens. Then this happens. Then this happens. And at the end of the day, what she was worried about is not having enough money to get groceries. That was what it was, right? That was what she was worried about. And I was like, mom, you have eight kids, right? And they all are financially stable. None of us, we all love you, are going to let you go hungry, right? right? So your worst case scenario is you have to eat lunch at my house. Right. That's your worst. That's your worst case scenario. <laughs> I mean, that's not that big a deal, you know. Uh, and then once we did that, she's just like, "Oh, you're right. There's this huge weight off my shoulders." I'm like, "Seriously, I'll have you over for lunch anyway, mm, right?" Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Go through the worst case scenario. I want you to come to terms with that. And it's not always going to be as simple as eating lunch at someone's house. Sometimes it is, like you said. Well, this kind of sucks, but I want to be alive. You know, mm. have food, especially in this country. Especially in this country. I mean, it's not always the case in some other countries, but but here, our bottom is really still pretty high. Yeah. No, I know there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be like, all right, this makes sense. This is something I'm going to put into practice. But, And you may know people like this in your life that they don't want to exercise strategies to relieve stress and come out of that type of living. Like there is a, there is a large section of society that it's almost like an addiction. It's almost like a comfort place for them. I've noticed to stay stuck in these what if scenarios of tragedy. And I don't understand why that is. I don't understand why people don't want to use the tools and the tactics to kind of bring themselves out of that mindset. It's almost like they prefer it. Like almost like an alcoholic prefers the bottle over sobriety kind of a thing. I don't know if it's emotional or psychological or what it is, but. Well, I think, I think you're right. There, there are, there are situations where people become more comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? They're, that's their ha- that's their that's their place of not I don't want to say happy place, but that's their place of congruence, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're comfortable in that in that nasty area. And so one of the things we do hit on there too is build healthy support systems, right? Because you, you most of those people will still say something in the right place. Hey, why do you get this fixed? But but then they, they always default back to the like you're saying, to fall back to the, the the place that that feels comfortable, even though it's not healthy, right? right? Mm-hmm. And and that's where your healthy support systems come into play and say, no, dude, uh, uh-uh. uh. I mean, I know, but we're gonna pull you over here, 
uh, and no, not everybody has an organic, healthy support system, right? Like nobody really has a healthy family or friends or whatever. But in our country, there literally are almost unending organizations designed to do that. And some of them are better than others, but there are area, there are places that we can go build healthy support systems, right? And call me or or Brian <laughs> Brian at clearhut.info. Right. You can email me and I'll and I'll listen, you know, and I think I'm pretty sure you would, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of the the, the whole agenda of Apex. And uh, I just actually wrapped up uh, a, clo- a coaching session with a guy that we met at a personal growth and development workshop in Phoenix a couple months ago. And it was really good, man. It's good to have a network. I was actually talking to my wife about this Um my next podcast episode that I'm going to do, we're going to talk about, and it's funny because you're a pilot too. Um, I heard this like two days ago. We're going to talk about the aspects of like a, a lift, drag, weight. And what is the other one? Propulsion? Or what's that fourth one? It's thrust. got a thrust. That's the one. That's the one. And how you need to have a support system in your life where you need people that are going to lift you. You know what I mean? Just by the mm-hmm. way they carry themselves. But you also need to have people that are going to thrust you and like, kind of be pressure points behind you to help you succeed. You know what I mean? And we want to avoid, obviously, people that are going to be weights that simply just by the way they live their lives are going to weigh us down or drag us down, so to speak. So um, I'm actually going to put that episode out next week and everything. But yeah, no, it's good. And that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you was if if it helps men to stay on the right trajectory of managing their stress, managing their trauma, staying in a happy place or a healthy place by getting involved in the work of reaching other people. You know what I mean? By having impact and influence in other people's lives. Any thoughts on that? So you froze there, but you froze there for a second, but I, I thought what I thought I heard is, is how beneficial it is to try and help others when you're in a place that you need help. Yeah, right? basically. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so I, I don't know. Everybody's going to have a different, probably theological background, but I, I'm I'm Christian, and basically that's something that Christ taught: mm-hmm. serve. Right? You, <laughs> when you're in the service of your fellow being, you're only in my service. Right? So, service is something that absolutely I don't care what phase you're in will bring you joy. And and if you're not religious, that's fine. Go put it to the test. Go try and serve some people. And mm-hmm. see if that doesn't work. I'm telling you, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that can, like, so what service does is make you become more grateful for what you have, right? That, that At least that's what I've noticed, is when you're serving others, you're actually looking how you can help somebody else. They might not even be in as bad a situation as you are, but you're you're seeing and, and empathizing with their situation, which gives you gratitude for whatever blessings you do have in your life. Yeah. Right. And the beautiful thing about gratitude, the beautiful thing about gratitude is it can't exist on the same plane as like hate. Right. It can't exist on the same plane as even just anger. It can't exist on the same plane of pick a negative attribute. It can't exist on the same plane. Try it. You know, try and and think what you're grateful for and then think of something you don't like. See if they can exist in the same headspace. Mm -hmm. One will win. Right. Right. One of them will win. Right. And it's up to you which one you let win. But I mean, 
yeah, I, I don't think you wait to serve. Now, you got to be careful by by taking up a position of of instruction. You know, maybe that's not what your role. Maybe maybe that's not your role yet because you haven't learned right. enough to do that at the, at that point. You might not be giving them good advice, right? Right. Um, but you can certainly serve. Yeah. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah. No. No. It just I've noticed for my own self that um, it keeps me on the right path of this whole reforming yourself and being on a better trajectory when you're involved in the work of helping other people stay on a better path and be on a better trajectory because it almost holds you accountable. Like it does. You're right. This is what you're doing. So like, and it just, I don't know, it just kind of keeps it fresh and at the forefront. Um, so let's talk about the book, bro. Um, I know it's not out yet, but it's coming, right? October 18th. October 18th. Okay. I mean, I don't know when you're airing this, but it could be uh, behind <laughs> us or in front of us, depending on when this comes out. <laughs> no, sure. No, I usually get them out pretty quick, man. But for something like this, um, you know, I would give you, I would give you the choice if you want to wait till it, you know, till it pushes out and then we can get it out there. If you want to let guys know on the front side, um, I intend to put it out, this podcast episode out next week. Um, but it's got all this stuff that we've talked about and so many other topics on dealing with trauma and stuff like that. Correct. It does. So honestly, here's the here's the deal with the book. The book is a war story, and it really is a is a boy becomes man story in a lot of different ways. Like I just was being immersed in a lot of different things. I was immersed in a relationship with uh, I just barely got married mm-hmm. married to a woman five years I mean, five years five months before we deployed for a total of twenty three month deployment. So we've been married for five months, and then we were going to be separated for twenty three months. And it turned out she had borderline personality disorder. So there's this whole other piece of just like compartmentalizing and being able to deal with real world life and death situations here. And honestly, real world life and death situations there at times, because she was at that point at times. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of walks through this whole thing and it really just tells a story. I don't, I don't get too didactic in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, towards the end we really kind of tried to sum up the lessons learned and everything and be like this is the this is these are the things that i learned as far as like creating a more resilient mind but throughout the book yeah i'll point it out mm-hmm. um and, and but it, it sh- it's designed the book is designed that hopefully you just read it and love it right you love the story and maybe you're picking out lessons along the way then you get to the end and you're like oh i see that and then you can even go back and be like oh that chapter this chapter yeah i got it and then we have some, you know, we have some support on the website as well. It goes into further uh, information on each of the principles or seven principles that we really outline as far as uh, preparing your mind. But yeah, that's the intent of the book is to enjoy it as a read, but also hopefully prepare your mind, learn some techniques to prepare your mind for the inevitabilities of life. You know? Yeah, no, I like that. So what's the title of the book? Cleared Hot, Cleared Hot. And, and the reason I chose the name is cleared hot is a directive given in military what means where it means you've met all the criteria to release your ordinance or shoot right mm-hmm. right so what i'm trying to say is it's like this little metaphor i'm going with like look do that on your with your life meet the criteria that you can be cleared hot on your life right yeah make the steps meet the rules of engagement and go forth right go forth and prosper my friend you know 
no, I like it, man. So like a full, like October, you said it comes out, like it's going to be available at bookstores, online, Amazon, all these different places. So Amazon will have it. My website will have it. Some bookstores are picking it up. You know how that works. It, it takes time right. for all bookstores to pick it up. I don't even know where they're all going to pick it up. The more people that buy it on Amazon and give me good reviews, the more bookstores pick it up. So do that. Absolutely. But or, yeah. my, or my webpage, you can order it too. What's the um, website? How can people find the website? www.clearedhot.info. So it's .info, not .com. So www.clearedhot.info. Yeah, awesome, man. So as we're winding it down, I'm, there's we're not in any real rush here, but as we're winding it down, what's something that maybe we haven't touched on yet in this conversation that you would like to leave men with that maybe have some trauma in their past, but they're to the point where they're ready to start climbing out of that and build an amazing life for themselves. And they're looking for tools, map, information, you know, uh, guideposts. What would you say to that guy that's starting to build now? That's a great question. So we kind of touched on probably what I would say, what I would start with is, is one, you got to start building a bigger, better perspective. And, and you can do that by focusing on your gains, right? Focusing on your gains. Um, in our life, it's always easier to look back than forward, right? As far as like see things and and, and learn from them. Mm-hmm. But what we want to do is try to take that ability and play it forward. So when you look, anybody that looks back and really is looking back with the intent to see their gains are going to be able to see, oh, I, I gained from this or I gained from that, right? And almost every time when we look back, our biggest gains come right after a trial or a tribulation or something uh, that 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 really was the catalyst for us to learn something that made us a better person, right? Mm-hmm. Almost all, even if it's our own trial, like this is my goal. That's that's our own trial we're setting, right? This is my goal. I got to work through this and come out the other side. Mm-hmm. That's still that's still a trial. So all of our gains usually come from that. If we know that and we can see that looking back, and that's what I always tell people: like, look back, start identifying, get on, identify like five in the last, identify one today, right? What happened today? What was a little obstacle? Sometimes it's just like, I didn't have breakfast. And then, you know, I ended up, you know, learning this lesson because of that, whatever it is, you know, but there's gains, there's little gains, but as you go back a month and then you go back a year and then you go back 10 years or whatever, you you start identifying the gains and, and realizing that they're almost always after an obstacle. They're almost always after a challenge. Then when you're in the middle of a challenge, let's play that forward. If those challenges let those though led to those types of growth or gain the challenge you're in right now will do the same so you're not in a challenge you're in an opportunity you are in an opportunity and it's up to you whether you're going to get the most out of that opportunity and so that helps with the perspective and it also helps with moving forward right i like that bro yeah 2019 for me was catastrophic bro i had been up here in North Dakota, away from my family. I left my wife and kids back in Colorado so she could wrap up a bachelor's degree that she was trying to finish. And I was working crazy old field hours, 18, 20 hour days, seven days a week, exhausted all the time, just running hard. Um, I was away from my support system. I was away from my family. And I just started to kind of tank a little bit, bro, in my character. And it was a rough year, dude. But out of that year birthed the podcast and the book, and the public speaking engagements, and this desire to really start helping men um, not stay stuck, or not fall prey 
you know, right. to those moments. Cause I know a lot of guys go through stuff like that and they convince themselves that that's who they always will be. And that's the way things always will be. And there's no sense in trying, but just like you said, don't let any trial or tribulation come into your life and not leverage that thing for your gain and for your advantage towards your future. And sometimes I think a guy has to sit down and really process that out in his thoughts about, well, what does that look like practically? You know, like growing up with, uh, like we talked about in the warm up chat, you know, a heavy handed stepfather. Um, that was traumatic for me, bro. Like it stunted my mental growth. Like it led me to a path of addiction to medicate a deep seated pain from that, which ultimately caused me to commit crimes in order to purchase drugs, which sent me to prison. Like I, I bear responsibility for my own actions, but you can see where the trajectory started. Right. And if I had to go through all of that, um, I don't want it to go to waste. I need to learn how to leverage that scenario to help me be a better father than my father was, right? I got to learn how to leverage um, wh whether guys have gone through divorces or anything like that, you know, learn from those tragic situations and say better next time, right? Like we're going to get this figured out and we're going to apply this and do better next time kind of a thing. So fantastic, bro. I appreciate you coming on. Um, guys, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Slade, the book is cleared hot it's going to be out and available next month pick it up on amazon uh barnes and nobles online anywhere books are sold uh, make sure you check out the website and definitely reach out to this man thank him for his service brian i thank you for your service your continued service not only what you've mm -hmm. done uh overseas in combat but the fact that you're training this next generation of guys to be able to continue this um american exceptionalism and all of that patriot uh patriotic stuff and everything so yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. We'll talk soon, bro. All right. All right thanks.